Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today, we have Kamia Mogadam. So Kamia is a psychotherapist. She's a psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral, relational, and gestalt techniques, which emphasizes the here and now, seeking to build strong interpersonal relationships with clients. She firmly believes that therapy should be a collaborative process where she and the client work together on learning their unique needs and figuring out a path to healing together. By working together with her clients' individual needs, she hopes to help them feel a greater sense of self-acceptance, self-confidence, and growth. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. So, you know, today we're going to be discussing all things related to, um, you know, the intersection of race and body image and trauma. So before we kind of dive in, we would love to hear, you know, how did you become a psychotherapist? What kind of brought you into this field? Great question. I'm going to give a pretty cliche answer that I think a lot of therapists will agree on, which is obviously I went through some of my own traumatic events growing up. So that was the beginning of my interest in psychology and human behavior. Um, and on top of that, my mom is a human rights journalist. So I saw her work and how much she cared about the human well-being emotions. And that was like really interesting to me, just seeing her work and her passion about, uh, humans in general. Um, so that got me interested in that as well. And then for a period of time, I actually started working at the UN for the human rights council in Switzerland. Um, and that was very helpful for me in a way that I was still working with humans. It was still part of my work of, uh, humans, mental health, emotions, well-being. Um, but at a certain point, I felt like I wanted to do more of micro work and bring emphasize on micro changes, things that I can actually see and work on a one-on-one level with people, uh, which was not achievable um, through my work in the UN. It's a great work. It was so helpful for me. But that just was the point where I was like, I think I want to be a therapist so I can have that one-on-one interaction and actually be able to see the change um, and bring that type of um, change. Yeah. So really going from like the macro level to more of the micro. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe we can start off with you know, discussing trauma, like what is trauma? You know, how does it show up in the body? I think that there is this idea where trauma can only happen when it's like these huge life events, but really like trauma has a a wide spectrum. So if you can kind of share, you know, what trauma is, how does it show up in the body and 
So yeah, fun. great question. Obviously, it's such a big question, so I'll try to summarize it uh, as much as I can. But what you said is super important to know that trauma is a spectrum. Uh, I do think a lot of us think about trauma as this big single event that happen, but I always like to call them big T's and small T's. So small T's are smaller traumas, big T's are bigger traumas, but anything can be trauma. Anything that makes you feel dysregulated, makes you feel uh, that you have to go into your survival mode and rely on your coping mechanisms count as trauma. Uh, it changes what trauma does, essentially, whether it's small or big, whether single event trauma or something that happened over a period of time or many, many years of your life. What it does, it essentially changes your belief system about yourself and the world around you or about the people in your life. And it usually changes your beliefs from good ones and positive ones to more of negative ones. So someone, most of us, not most of us, all of us are born with a set of positive beliefs about the world until something happens that changes that. So if uh, for the longest time in your life, you felt the world is a safe place, then something happens and it makes you feel like the world is an unsafe place. Mm -hmm. So that what that's what trauma does. It changes your belief system. And when our belief system is now changed to something negative and we're navigating the world with the belief of it's unsafe, we're going to be in survival mode and mm -hmm. we're going to always be in flight or fight mode. Uh, and that's where the body comes into play because our flight or fight mode has physiological responses inside our body and it reacts to our environment. We, it views everything as potentially a threat and danger. So it's always on the go. It's always either fighting and running or shutting down. And that's how when we talk about trauma living inside our body, that's what we really mean. Mm -hmm. uh, that our body starts to react to our environment always from a dangerous place or, or viewing everything as a threat and mm -hmm. having those physiological responses to it. And can you share, you know, what are maybe some examples of like a big T versus a little T? Good question. Again, everyone can feel trauma in different ways, but some of the things that are helpful for me to think about, and that's how I distinguish it for myself, like small T's could be a friendship breakup. It could be quitting your job. It could be a breakup with a significant other. Although some breakups can be a big T depending on the nature of the relationship and the breakup. Um, Another small T could really be like moving. You move from one place to another and that transition is so overwhelming and difficult um, that can turn into trauma. Um, some big T's you can imagine, it could be childhood uh, abuse, it's physical abuse, it's neglect, it's being in an abusive relationship for many years, it's death, it's... Um, losing uh, um, a pet it could be so it could be medical emergencies like if you're suddenly sick that could be a big trauma uh, to recover from that um, again anything that really really impacts your life and changes all of your belief system is a big t and mm -hmm. some things are the ones that you kind of bounce back from them pretty fast and quickly and it doesn't necessarily change all of your belief systems mm -hmm. it changes some things in you it changes some of your views about life but not all of it mm -hmm. um so that's like how i distinguish it again that depends on the person their tolerance level for life right just emotions too and you said turn 
into trauma? Like, what's the threshold? Is it just like we talk a lot about this in terms of like disordered eating and eating disorders, right? So it's like, at what point is your relationship with food disordered eating, right? And I usually say it's like how much it actually affects your day to day. Mm -hmm. Is it similar in terms of when it turns into trauma? Is there like a threshold there? Good question. Um, I think it's very different person to person, but I also think like the moment that you start doing things differently and living your life in a different way, Mm -hmm. then that is an indication that something has changed and that's the result of whatever is that you're going through or you went through. Um, when you start your day off and things just don't feel right, things feel Mm -hmm. off or you start finding new coping mechanisms or you go back to your old coping mechanisms and your old habits. Those are all indications of like, I'm dealing with trauma right now. I am in survival mode. Mm. Uh, yeah. And what's the difference between, sorry, Britt, no, so many ahead. questions. <laughs> um, so Brittany and I, this is kind of taking a different angle, but I'm just curious, like Brittany and I have very similar anxieties mm-hmm. and Britt, I don't know if you, like, I don't, really know where any of mine come from like our our need to like like I was like always homesick as a kid and um and I've dove into all of this and there's nothing really that like nothing in my childhood that I felt unsafe like um I don't like to be places that I can't like there's no way out there's no escape so like at what point is it like okay there was a traumatic event that created this and like Genetic. Come, yeah, genetic. Absolutely. Great question. And that's always something that we think about too. And you're right. If you think about your childhood and think like, oh, I had such a great upbringing. I, it doesn't make sense about some of my responses as an adult. A, it could definitely be genetics. It could be like that you, you were born with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of just your um, brain functions and systems. Mm-hmm. I also think a big part of anxiety is learned behaviors. So thinking about like how your mom deals with life, how your dad dealt with life, how your siblings dealt with life. Um, We pick up on things. I grew up with a pretty anxious mom, love her to death. She's my best friend today, Mm -hmm. but she was an anxious person. Mm -hmm. So a big part of my anxiety or my behaviors or what I like to call them, my quirks, Mm -hmm. um, there are learned behaviors that I picked up from her. I saw how she handled her life. I saw how she problem solved and how she viewed the world. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from her. And now I have to unlearn some of those things as an adult. And it has nothing to do with trauma. It's just genuinely learned behavior because our parents are the first people that we see and we learn life from them. And to connect that even back to your relationship with food, no one is born with this like certain relationship with food. A lot of it is learned behaviors. A lot of it is learned behaviors from parents. And so going back to like the unlearning piece, just like unlearning how you view other people's bodies you know, unlearning how you view race and all these other factors that show up that are very much, you know, we're socialized to believe, you know, we were learned, um, our learned behaviors. And, you know, another thing I wanted to bring up too, again, as it kind of relates to body image and with trauma, a lot of times, especially for folks in larger bodies who reside in, you know, higher weight bodies, there's the medical trauma of being dismissed by doctors, you know, being ignored, you know, being just completely, uh, what's the word that I'm thinking? Um, 
this is my ADHD brain always coming out, but you know, it's with a lot of physicians and a lot of doctors, there is like a lot of weight stigma that happens within the doctor's office that can be ongoing trauma. If you were teased, you know, in elementary school, middle school, high school, if your parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, you know, would come home and say things that is learned behaviors. And it also creates a source of trauma for those, especially those in larger bodies over time. Exactly. Exactly. I love that, that you say that it's almost like the concept of microaggressions. It's the same. It's like these little comments that are not so little, but people intentionally or unintentionally, they say it or do it around you that you feel some type of way. I always think about these microaggressions as like there's a, a wound or maybe not even a wound, but every little interaction, every little comment is a cut on someone's body or someone's mental health or someone's soul even. And they just turn. And then after many years of that, then you look at someone and it's just cuts all over their mental health and their well-being because of all these little microaggressions. And that's trauma. And that's the type of trauma that's consistent. And it happens. It's not a single event and it's all of your life, basically. And it's yeah. so hard to deal with that. Right. And so how does trauma, how might trauma impact body image or one's relationship with their body? Yeah, good question. Again, depending on the nature of the trauma, um, a big part of trauma is when you lose control or power or agency over something. And I know a lot of people that deal with sexual trauma or physical trauma, there's a loss of agency over one's body. So that's why people with that trauma specifically, they dissociate, they don't feel their body, they're very, very much disconnected from their body. And how that that impacts body image is that there's such a lack of connection to their body that they don't even view it as something positive to begin with. It's their source of trauma. It's such an unsafe place to exist. So no one wants to be in an unsafe place. And that means they don't want to be inside their body. It's very hard to feel positive about something that brings you so much pain and that feels so negative and so unsafe. Mm-hmm. So someone with that type of trauma, and that's, that goes with any type of trauma. Trauma makes your body feels like it's an unsafe place. You don't want to connect to it. And another layer of that is that all of our emotions have a physiological sense and in our body. So all, when you feel sad or anger, something is happening in your body. And when someone goes through trauma, they don't want to feel all those feelings because it's so hard to deal with. So again, they disconnect from their body. Their body is not safe. It doesn't feel good. And they just don't have a nurturing or positive or loving or compassionate relationship with their body. It's already a negative um, relationship. So that is a big part of body image. A lot of people that have gone through trauma They feel so unsafe with their body and it's such a source of pain that they don't even look at themselves in the mirror. That's the level of disconnect that we're talking about. So if they don't even look at it, how are they going to take care of it in any way? And that can lead to so many different problems and different behaviors that also leads to body image issues. And is that typically or like mostly associated with sexual trauma? Are there other types of trauma that manifest mostly in body image yeah honestly i think it's with every trauma because again 
trauma is associated with a lot of emotions and emotions have uh, physiological responses in the body. So for someone who doesn't want to feel their feelings and process the trauma, they're so caught off from it. They're not feeling anything in their body and it's already a disconnect. But with people that deal with sexual trauma or physical trauma, that means that they were punished as a child. They got beaten up by their parents. They were bullied in school physically mm-hmm. uh, or they were physically assaulted. It doesn't always have to be of sexual nature, but anything that has been source of um has put their body through trauma in any capacity that does lead into uh, that does lead um, to a lot of body image issues. Another thing to think about, it's not even so much physical or sexual, but think about people in specific industries like modeling, dancers, actors. Um, it's more of verbal abuse almost when constantly they, their bodies are a uh, subject of uh, conversations. People talk about it as if it's not someone's body. They just tell them lose weight. They, they tell them you need to put your foot in a certain way or in a position. It, their body's always a tool almost. Mm-hmm. So people like that, they don't even think about their body as like, this is my body. They look at it as like, this is a tool and everyone else has control over it but me. Mm-hmm. And that's another type of trauma. And that's not physical or um, sexual. That's more emotional, mm-hmm. but it's abuse. Right. So talking about other types of tools, you know, what tools or what, how do you often work with clients when they come to you with this trauma and they're hoping to, you know, have a different relationship with their body, one that feels maybe a little bit more connected? Yeah. Um, Obviously, I'm biased on this, but trauma-informed therapy is key. Uh, If you deal with body image issues, it's important to figure out why, where does it come from? And it's often connected to some sort of trauma. And again, it can be a big T or a small T. It could be that you were in a relationship with someone that made you feel bad about yourself unintentionally. But again, think about microaggressions. And that has left you feeling some type of way about yourself and your body. So I think trauma-informed care is key. It's important to get help in that way. There's a, I'm actually certified in it. So many people do it in New York specifically now. It's called EMDR. So it's a very specific type of treatment for trauma and it targets the traumatic memories and the negative beliefs associated with them. So that's a great tool if you want to um, go down that route. Other things that I want people to think about, and I think this is kind of like a, it's not one tool, but it's rebuilding and nurturing a loving relationship with your body is that start becoming more in tune with your body, start connecting with it on very small scale. If it still doesn't feel the safest way or a safest place to be, or if it doesn't still feel good, but you can start slowly to connect to it. And it could be just every day for 20 seconds, you just do a quick body scan to see what's happening with your body. I, it's a silly thing, but I think it's helpful. I do it myself. I have three alarms on my phone, one in the morning, which I wake up. Then I have one at um, the middle of the day and one in the evening. And when the alarm goes up, it's signaling to me that you need to check in with yourself, see how you're doing, where you're at today. So when my alarm goes in the morning, I wake up and I notice, I'm like, do I have a headache? Am I tired? 
Did I sleep well? What's going on? Am I feeling heavy? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty, dehydrated? And I kind of do that all throughout the day intentionally. And that's just, and that has taught me and the intention of that exercise that it teaches you Mm -hmm. to be in tune with your body, figure out its needs, check in with yourself, give your body what it requires and what it needs to you and be very intentional about that. And it just rebuilds a lot of, um, love and care for yourself and your body. It's such a great act of self-care and self-love and it starts rebuilding that nurturing relationship with your body. So that's another thing that someone can do. Um, and again, it's very hard. I always say, and it's cliche and I know we hear it all the time that be, give yourself a lot of permission and grace and patience, but it is important that you actually do that and you're intentional about that. Because if you come from a place where you genuinely don't like your body and don't feel good about it, it's very hard to, especially with all the body positivity movement that's happening, which I think is wonderful. But I also think that adds a level of pressure for a lot of people that they have to feel good about their body, even when they can't. And that puts them in shame and guilt in a different way. So it's just a matter of like figuring out, hey, like I don't feel good about my body. I know why I don't feel good about my body and that's okay. Maybe I can take myself from this very negative place to a neutral place first, and then we can work our way to a positive place. It's hard when someone says, I hate how I look, to tell them, no, you look beautiful, you look great, and and change this year. Yeah. You can say like, that's fine. You're entitled to feel that way. It's okay. But maybe we can get to a place of like, eh, I feel meh about my body. It's fine. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we can get to a place of like, I think my body is good enough. And that's yeah. all someone can hope for. Right. It so- sounds like it's really a combination of trauma-informed therapy and like exercises, whether it's like physical exercise or not to really connect back to your body. Yeah. It's really going back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Like, am I thirsty? Am mm-hmm. I tired? Do I need a nap? What's going on? Am I hungry? Do I need a snack? Mm-hmm. Am I grumpy? Because what's happening? Just checking in to see what is your body telling you? Listen to it, but it's giving you a signal. It's telling you something, whatever it is, it's information for you. So the more you listen to yourself and to your body specifically, the more you're giving it exactly what it requires and needs and you're showing yourself love and compassion. And it then turns into a safe, loving place for you to exist. Yeah. I feel like compassion is so key and it's been something that has helped my clients tremendously. Like having that compassion and as you said, like not expecting for there to be such a loving relationship with your body right away. And it may not get to a point where you look in the mirror and you're like, I just love everything about my body, but maybe it gets to a place of acceptance. Like this is my body. And it, you know, it shows up for me. It does a lot for me. And so I I totally agree with you. I think getting first to a place of neutrality and acceptance is so key and just having a ton of compassion along the way. Yeah, exactly. So switching gears a little bit, I would love to talk about you know, race and how does race impact body image? We talked a little bit about microaggressions, but, you know, I would love to hear how race could impact body image. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously it's a very, very big topic. It's a sensitive topic and I I will try to do my best to summarize and do it justice. Um, But 
and I can use my own personal life as an example. I'm an Iranian woman. I was raised in Europe mostly in very, very white cities and white cultures. I am not, obviously I'm not white. I don't look white. Um, and so there's so many components to that. One component, I, I always think about it as one's own culture and ethnicity and how that views, um, diet culture, food, um, uh, body image and how that culture speaks of, um, of these things. So for example, as an Iranian person, I know, a big part about our culture is still to this day diet culture. We talk about each other's bodies. We compliment each other when someone loses weight or when someone gains weight, your grandma will bring attention to it. Um, we, it's our culture is very pro cosmetic surgery and it's very openly discussed. And when it comes to cosmetic sur surgery, I have to say I am pro it because it's your body. Do what you got to do to make you happy. Mm -hmm. Who am I to tell you not to do that? But it's the way that people talk about it and discuss it and how much of it they, they discuss. Mm -hmm. So I think one's own culture plays a huge factor and how your parents taught, like what type of relationship you had with food, what was available in your home, how did your mom talk about food? And if it wasn't even about you, how did your mom or your family or siblings, they talked about themselves in front of you. Right. Uh, like, did your mom always talk about how old she's getting? Or did your mom always constantly talk about like, I need to lose five pounds or I need to get Botox now or oh, I have great hair. It's also dad. You know, I think there's so much focus on moms, but the research shows like a dad's relationship with food and their body can also like really negatively impact their kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like as you said, like how parents talk about their bodies, how they talk about other bodies. Like did your parent walk around saying like Aunt Sally, you know, gained so much weight or like how, like that person looks so bad or noticing your parents complimenting you or other people. It's sure. and kids notice like they're little sponges that just absorb everything around them. So even if parents or family members aren't directly commenting on the child's body, they're noticing the language that they're using. They're noticing who's getting attention, who's getting those compliments. Yeah, exactly. Again, it goes back to the learning behavior. You're learning these things from your immediate family and your household. And, and it's not good. You're learning that bad behavior. You're learning to talk about body in this specific way, which is harmful, especially when you grow older. So that's one part of it. And the other part of it is obviously where you grow up and the culture of that country or that city and how you look like versus how the norm is or the norm of social uh, or beauty standards. Like again, using my own example, I grew up in a city where it's very white. I was in the minority and very um, in a very obvious way. Um, so if it's not a, the most diverse place and we know that the beauty standards of that place is a certain thing and I don't look it, I am, whether someone says it or not, whether there's any microaggression or not, I am going to think I'm lesser. I am going to feel like I'm not that, therefore I'm bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the place that you grow up with and the people that you interact with and how they treat you and the things they say or they don't say, or whether it's implicit or explicit, that has an impact on how you feel about yourself and mm -hmm. just your 
visual self and your uh, hair, your skin tone, whatever that is. And the other part of it, which is, again, a huge, huge topic, but we have to also name it and think about how certain female bodies or male bodies of certain um, cultures or races, they're sexualized and they're talked about a lot uh, in not the nicest way or the best way. Um, And that is a trauma in itself. Again, goes back to losing a sense of agency over your body. If your body is an object and people talk about it in that way and view it in that way, at least like the body that you have and the characteristics that it holds, that is trauma. It's a source of trauma. You feel like this body doesn't belong to you. It kind of doesn't feel like a safe place because you're associating it with all these other things. I feel like that happens a lot with aging also. I think especially as women in our society, like somehow we're supposed to be like puck everlasting and never age. And it's almost becomes this like social currency, like being thin, being youthful, being conventionally attractive. And, you know, I've spoken to many women and men who, as they get older, they're like, I don't even recognize myself. Like people used to turn when I walked down the street and now I'm ignored. And it, you know, it's that also is like these penalties because if you're used to getting, if you're used to being approached a certain way or or spoken to a certain way, and all of a sudden that just changes and there's this expectation to keep up, to look a certain way. I, it's really hard. And I say this often to my clients who struggle with body image, like you're never going to look the exact same for the rest of your life. So how do we get to a place of acceptance now? Because you're going to age eventually and God willing you age, because if you don't age, you're not here on this planet. So um, it's, I think having that body acceptance makes it easier to accept things later on. And this idea, like none of us are guaranteed to have certain privileges, like things could change on a dime. And so the more we can learn to accept our bodies, the easier it becomes. But the one question I do have, and this is something I hear a lot from clients that I work with around body images. Okay. Like I can accept my body, but what happens when my mom doesn't accept my body? My grandpa doesn't accept my body. People around me doesn't accept my body. When you live in a culture that is so obsessed with thinness and honestly, whiteness, because if it it comes down to it, like the whole white standard is like the thin ideal. And so many cultures try to change their bodies to kind of fit this idea. So I'm curious, like how, how would you approach that with someone when they, they themselves are getting to a place of acceptance, but everyone around them is not? You hear this word now so often, it's boundary setting, it's education. Um, Again, it's very frustrating that we still have to educate people around these topics and set boundaries with people. It's so annoying, but I think it's essential to your mental health because you, you are doing the work and you don't want other people to drag you down. Yeah. And people will drag you down again, intentionally or in- unintentionally. When it comes to parents, um, grandparents, depending on the type of relationship you have with them. I always think about it like there is a part of it that's it's radical acceptance. You're not going to probably change your grandparents' point of view. You're probably, it's probably too late for them to start learning all the things that you're learning. 
So that's part of it that, okay, we're accepting that this is the situation. This is who they are. And I probably can't change that. But what you can do is set boundaries with them, is talk about some of the topics that you don't want to discuss with them. And it goes with everything. Like I've done this in my life over so many different topics, whether it's politics, whether it's like when it comes to like my grandparents, again, love them so much, but I know for my own sake of sanity, I have to stay away certain topics with them. And I still want to have some sort of a relationship with them and two can exist at the same time. But it just means that your relationship with that person is going to be very boundaried and protective of yourself. Um, and you talk about these things. There are certain topics that I don't discuss with my mom or there's some people like with my own mom or some of my friends. I educate them. I talk about my own triggers. I talk about my own uh, trauma responses and how a certain topic might make me feel, whether it's their intention or not, it's the impact of that topic on me. So I would appreciate them to not bring it up. Or if they're going to talk about this certain topic, this is how they should talk about it in front of me or with me. Um, So it's important that you protect yourself in that way because you are on your healing journey and you don't want people to slow you down in that way. You're, You're your own priority and you should be able to educate people around you and set boundaries with them. And it's okay for you to say like, we're not going to discuss this topic. We're never going to talk about this topic unless like you change your way and talk about it in a different way. So if it's someone that's very close to you and you want to have a very, very close relationship with, then you have to educate them and you have to talk about your own trauma and your responses to your trauma. But if it's someone that you don't really care to be that close with, or you feel like they're just never going to change then just come up with a lot of boundaries for yourself and accept the situation for what it is. I love that. I have a random question about, I don't know if you know anything about this, but um, are trauma dreams a thing? Yeah, uh, <laughs> especially when you're doing a lot of trauma work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always feels like you're opening a can of worms uh, at, at first. So there's so much information and memories that are coming up mm-hmm. and your brain still is processing that when you're sleeping that's what the brain does when you're in REM it's processing and like putting things together and organizing everything for you mm-hmm. so because when you're doing your trauma work and or dealing with a lot of trauma all of it is out there so your brain is just really trying to figure it out and organize it and right. that leaks into your dreams yeah dreams are crazy I have so many dreams at night. Same. I wake up and I'm just confused. Same. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I'm like, I, what was I watching before I went to sleep? Dream. It's so interesting. I also wake up sometimes. I'm mad at people in my life, but depending on the dream. Oh, same. No, I, I I texted my best friend last week. I'm like, I woke up really mad at you, and I I can't remember what it was. And she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. Um, But yeah, dreams are real. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This has been so incredible to have you on. Where can our listeners find you, work with you, follow you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I'm so glad that we got this chance to uh, talk about this topic because it's so important to me and I'm very passionate about it. I am. um, I'm a clinical director and a psychotherapist at My Therapy NYC. Um, it's very easy for people to get in touch. If you look up my therapy and my C.com, 
Um, people can view all of our bios. We have 25 therapists, all trained in trauma. That's that's number one specialty of our practice. Uh, but you can get in touch with me at uh, Kimia, K-I-M-I-A at mytherapynyc.com. Our practices Instagram is mytherapynyc.com or mytherapynyc. That's the handle. Um, and yeah, that's how you can reach out to me, find me, email me. Um, and yeah, reach out. Don't hesitate. That's incredible. And all of that will be in the show notes as well. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at Food Therapy Pod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.